Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So uh, fall is uh, it's one of my favorite uh, seasons of the year. It really is, especially the month of October. How do you not like the month of October? How do you not love the month of October? Karen and I just came from, uh, from a desert, actually. And one of the things that we noticed, that there was beauty to the desert, believe me. And uh, God did a neat work even through me, even that week of seeing the desert, that what I thought was really dry and barren was, was really actually full of life. It, you just don't know it. You just don't see it. But then coming back home after being in that desert for a week, oh my gosh, to see, to see the colors in, in the leaves. Breathtaking. Some friends of mine, we were, last Sunday, we were, well, actually we were on the golf course, and we were at one particular place, and we just stopped to just, just to look at the beauty. Just the beauty of God's creation, and, and, and to see those those different colors of, of, of red and orange and yellow is just absolutely beautiful. I, I, love, I love October. And I love uh, the brisk, fresh, cold mornings. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Cold, cold mornings and a good fresh cup of coffee. And so when I think about that, here's what I always think about. I always think about because it's cold in the morning in our house because we're cheap and we don't cut the heat up. <laughs> and if you've ever been to my house, you go, you got that right. People come, bring, they bring coats and blankets when they come to our house. That's the truth. You think I'm, I'm joking. You know, I think in the winter, probably our growth group will move somewhere else to a warmer house, you know, for the winter. Any, anyway, you know, one of, my th- one of my memories, one of my things that I do and I love in the winter is to be able to get up early in the morning, which is super, super early. And I love to, to go to my little chair, and it's right beside a window. Of course, it's dark. I can't see outside yet, but I'm anticipating what the sun's going to look like when it comes up. And then I'm sitting in front of a fire and that cup of coffee. I mean, I just love, I love that season of the year. Over the years, poets and songwriters have used the cycle of the seasons as a metaphor for the seasons of our soul. And it's interesting to me because those, those poets and those songwriters are not necessarily Christians. In fact, maybe the majority of them are non-Christians, but there's something that they sense even to use this as a way to be able to describe really that life, life is a journey. It's a journey. And we move, at least we're supposed to move from childhood to adolescence, from adolescence to adulthood, at least that's the goal, right? You may be sitting beside somebody right now as a 30-year-old baby. I don't know, you know, and they're still doing childish things. I mean, maybe you're looking at somebody, maybe you married that person who you said, you're stuck in adolescence. I see some women looking right now. But the idea is, is that we're supposed to transition, we're supposed to move from one developmental season to the other. 
Solomon said it like this. You've already heard it, heard it in the video. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, he says, every, For everything there is a season. For everything there is a particular, a specific time for every activity under heaven. And the truth of it is, is that all of us are going to go through, we're going to move through and experience these different seasons in our lives. And can I just say it's not optional? Just so you know, it's, it's not optional. You've probably already figured out that life, life is, it's all about change. In fact, according to the experts, there's a two different kinds of change. One is the external event. I think we, we get that, right? We get the external event. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's moving, you know, moving and moving from one house to another house, from one neighborhood to another neighborhood, it's, that's change. It's maybe a job change, and maybe it's a, a change that you've been looking for. I need a change. I need a break. I need something different. And so it's a change. There's a definite change. It could be the death of somebody that you love. That brings an incredible amount of change. That is an external event that you have no control over, perhaps. The second is developmental. It's, it's, it's adolescence. It's, it's midlife. It's, it's an empty nest. Karen and I are going to have the good fortune, the good pleasure. I'm going to have the pleasure of being able to be on this stage with her in a couple of weeks from today. And we're going to talk about the empty nest syndrome because uh, we are empty nesters. <laughs> Let me just say, it's an awesome thing. I'm telling you, it can be sweet. I mean, I love my kids. I have all kinds of things going through my head that I'm not saying. <laughs> That's really, really good. Empty, let me just say, emptiness can be a beautiful thing. You can embrace the change if you make a great transition. You don't want to miss a couple of weeks from now. I'm just saying the truth is that, is that change happens in all these different kinds of seasons in our lives. And, and I learned through, through the preparation of this message, I learned that there's that there's a difference in two terms, that I don't know that we know that there's a difference in these two terms. And, and one, the, the word is just change. And we think that change and transition are the same thing. They are not. I, didn't, I don't know that I knew that. So I had to learn some things. It was good for me to learn. And according to William Bridges, who's a noted expert on change, here's what he says. He says, change is a situational shift. It's an alteration in my external situation. But transition is radically different. Transition is the process of letting go of the way things used to be, and it's, it's then being able to embrace, to grab hold, and take hold of the new. That's the transition. So it sounds like to me that it's possible, it's very possible for a person to experience change without doing the work of trans, with transition. For example... An individual can make a new job change or a new house or move to a new state. He says, I'm going to move to a brand new state. And you can, you can say that and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to start over. And so I'm going to start over. I'm, this job, is, I'm, it's a dead-end job. I want to start over somewhere new. This neighborhood is nothing but bad memories. I want to start over somewhere new. You can move to a new state. You can go many states over. You can go from one side of the country to another. And never actually transition because you never let go of the old. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? So if a husband and wife decide to have a baby and become parents, yay, Katie. 
That's my daughter. I'm going to be a granddad, just in case y'all didn't know. Woo! And I'm going to spoil that young and rotten. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Man, I forgot what I'm saying. I just got in the granddad mode. You know what I'm saying? So if a husband and wife decide they're going to have a baby and become parents, is it, is it a change or is it a transition? It actually depends. It depends. Becoming a parent is a change, but the true transition will only happen as a couple is engaged in the process of letting go of life without children. And so a couple can actually have a child and not recognize that with a child comes a radical change. And for those of you who have children, go, oh, brother. Now, we, we love that, right? Some of it. <laughs> we can be honest. Some of it's difficult, right? Because those babies demand your attention. A baby cannot feed itself, cannot change its own diaper, cannot give itself something to drink. And so babies are very demanding. And so a, a, a couple can have a child and never really make the transition because they want to hang on to life without kids. How about if you're divorced with children? That's a change. It's a radical change. There's all kinds of things that go into that. How about if you're single and you're married someone and you married someone who was divorced with children? Is that a change or a transition? For those of you that have the t-shirt, you know full well that it's a major change. There are so many factors that go into someone who was single and suddenly now I'm not just married, but I'm I'm a father. I'm I'm a step parent. It's a huge, radical change. And if you'll be here next week, then we want to do our best to help you make the transition to a healthy, blended family. David and Aaron are going to be on the stage, and they're going to be sharing their story. And then we're going to have a guest, Lori Short, and she's going to be here as well. She's the author of Gracefield Step Parenting. And there's going to be a workshop after the second service, like 12, 15 or so. You don't want to miss it. We want to do everything we can to make, help you make a transition with the change. One writer put it like this. I don't know who said it. I read it a long time ago, but I, I so agree with it. He said, life is change. Life is change. It is change. <clears throat> life is change. Growth, however, is optional. Choose wisely. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by a brilliant man, King Solomon. And Solomon was uniquely positioned to write this book all about life. He was uniquely positioned because he was the third king of Israel and, and reigned in Israel 3,000 years ago during this, this time that really was, has been coined as the golden age of Israel. Let me tell you why that's important. It's important because there was peace on all of his borders, which means that, that Solomon had the luxury that most kings never had. Solomon actually had the good pleasure to sit and think. Now, sitting and thinking for some of us is not necessarily a good thing, right? Have, have you, are you like me? Sometimes you overthink situations. Hello, am I the only one? And so sometimes you think, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it was a great thing for him. 
And so there, he had no borders to defend. There wasn't a war for him to worry about, to, to be engaged in. And so he had all of this time to be able to just sit and think. So he decided that he was going to take his extensive wealth. And, I mean, he was the richest man in the world. In fact, in fact, people say that he still, even if it would be to compare to today's wealth, that he still would be known as the richest man who ever lived. So he would take that extensive wealth, and then he would take his in, ex, uh, incredible influence. After all, he was the king, right? So he had influence. He had power as the king. And then he would take his extraordinary intellect and wisdom. And it was a gift from God. He, God said, what do you want? And he said, I'll tell you what I want. I want wisdom. I want to know. I want you to give me wisdom so that I'll know how to rule well. I'll love these people well that you've put me in charge of. And so God gave him this, this incredible gift, this extraordinary wisdom. And literally, people would travel from all of the known world just to come to him to ask him questions. Because he was the wisest man who, who ever lived. And, and so Solomon took all of that. He took his influence, he took his wisdom, he took his wealth, and he took all of that to sort of plumb the, the depths of humanity to ask this question. It's an incredible question. It's the question that many of you are looking for the answer to. So what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? And so Solomon just tells it all in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the thing of it is, we can trust him. You know, some people, you got to be honest, some people you go, you know, I, you can't speak into my life. You've, you've not been where I've been. You've not experienced what I've experienced. What we know about Solomon is that he had everything necessary that allowed him to experiment with everything. He experimented with marriage. Now, when I say he experimented with marriage, I mean, he had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines which has caused many to question whether or not he really was the smartest man who ever lived. <laughs> he experimented with sheer pleasure. And he could. See, there wasn't anything on his lips. For us, i got to be honest, if I've got to level honest with you, there would have been times I would have said, Lord, if I had been 16 and I had been like, you know, rich, I would have tried anything and everything, wouldn't you? Maybe not. I would have. He was rich enough to, to explore everything that he thought would just bring him pure pleasure. He experimented with construction and idleness and busyness. He looked at the relationship between the poor and the wealthy. He looked at the relationship between between men and women. He looked at the relationship between children and their fathers, and he looked at, at inheritance and what happens when money is passed from one generation to another, and he explored science. I think that's fascinating. And so if you have all of these questions in your mind, you should really, you should go to the book of Ecclesiastes because here is a man who took all of that and he explored it all. He had vast wealth, vast influence. And he explored the question, what is the real purpose of life? So right out of the gate, when I say right out of the gate, I'm talking about Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. This is what he says. 
The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless. And just in case you didn't get it the first time, he said, meaningless. And then just in case you go, what? Like, meaningless, meaningless, he says everything. So what? Like, what is meaningless? And so he just says everything is meaningless. So I guess we should just close in prayer and go get an early lunch. What do y'all think? Because <laughs> you're thinking right now, oh, my gosh, why would I want to read the book of Ecclesiastes? It sounds like the most depressing book ever. If you're looking for the answer, what is the purpose? What's the meaning of real life? I'm telling you, it's a great book. It's a great book. It's a great book to read. He said, I've explored everything. I've learned everything. I've seen everything. I've done it all. And my conclusion is this is that it's all meaningless. And then we come to chapter 3. You think it's going to get better? Probably not. But just hang on. You're already here. Let's finish this thing up. What do you say? Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For everything, mm, he says, but for everything, there is a season. And you need to know that that word season in the Hebrew, it literally means an appointed time. And I love this verse because then he gives you the definition. He says, for everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. So Solomon, the wisest, smartest, richest man who ever lived, he said, I've observed everything, and what I've observed is there's this predetermined season for everything, a fixed time for everything. And then he goes on a list of all these appointed, predetermined times, listen, that we're all going to go through. And so he lists, he lists the positive and then he lists the negative. I mean, what would you expect from Solomon, right? So he lists the positive, and then, and then he lists the negative. And here's what he says. Here's the first thing that he says. He says, there is a time to be born, and there's a time to die. And I'm looking at some smart people. I think we all get that, right? We pretty much got that figured out. We don't live like we get it. I mean, we get it on one level. Everybody in here, everybody under the sound of my voice right now, whether you're listening here or you're listening online, everybody knows. You know what? I get that. I fully understand that. But we just don't think it's going to like be today. Right? In fact, most of us would say, you know, I don't think it's going to be today. Probably not going to be tomorrow. I mean, like, I'm in good health. Everything's good. I feel good. And so, you know, I don't, really, I don't think it's going to be today. I don't think it's going to be tomorrow. I, don't, I doubt it's going to be next week. So we don't actually live like we believe that it's true, although we would say that we do believe it's true. I bumped into one of Springwell's finest a couple of months ago at Lowe's. And um, he said that uh, he realized that he's getting older. As I was preparing for this message, I thought, man, it's cool how God puts people together, you know. And so he said he realized that he's getting older, that when he was younger and newly married, that everything, everything seemed to revolve around young people getting married. All my friends were getting married. And, and so most of my friends were getting married. And then after we got married, we went through the season where everybody now is having babies. And so their friends are having babies. And he said it was an awesome, it was an awesome season. He said, but you know what? Lately, I've noticed that I'm in a new season of life. And here's what he said. He said, actually, it's a season of, of sickness and loss and death. See, we love the time to be born season, right? We embrace that. We celebrate that. 
We're celebrating. You know, baby's on the way. Woo! I'm already thinking, planning the stuff I'm going to do with this child. I'm not telling them, but I'm just going to be awesome. But a time to die, not so much. If you're here, it means that you were born. Y'all don't even know what to say to that, do you? You're like, what? <laughs> you come here for me to give you great wisdom. But that means that someday, at an appointed time, here's what it means. And you know it, you will surely die. Change is going to occur. And the key to life is, is not change. You can't stop change. It's going to happen whether you want it or not. The key is not the external event. It's not the developmental event. That's, that's not it. The key is how are you going to transition through the change? That's the key. So Solomon continues with, and this could be like a six-month series, these next few verses. He says, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill. Ho! Stop looking at some of your faces right now. Probably would have skipped that verse. The wisest man who ever lived, he said, actually, there, there's a time, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a, and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I've used this at funerals many times and I've always thought, that's just a weird verse, right? A time to mourn and a time to dance. What? I don't feel like dancing. I'm mourning. I'm grieving. I'm hurting. But he gives you a positive and a negative. He said, it's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, have mercy. Some of you walked in here this morning. That's exactly your mindset. You know, maybe it's a job, and you, maybe it's a job situation. You're thinking, I, should, do I stay? Do I stay where I'm at? Do I, do I continue to search for meaning and purpose here, or is it time to give up and move on? Maybe it's a relationship, and you're thinking, is it time... Is it time to move on? Do I search? What do I do? And so some of you are just in that frame of mind. Solomon says, you know what? That is a part of life. It's a part of life. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear. A time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Have mercy. We should put that on Facebook like tomorrow. We all get that. It's the time to speak. Speak. And we should put. Scott's translation, and there's a time to shut up. In the name of Jesus, I'm just saying. Don't you agree? Sometimes I go, whoa, we just talk way too much. A time to love and a time to hate. That one will wear you out. That will mess with you. Time to war and a time for peace. And so Solomon, so bottom line is that Solomon is just, we, says that we just got to learn. It's going to happen whether you want it to or not. You don't have a choice. So you've got to learn to live in harmony with the ebb and the flow of life, the seasons of life, the inevitable changes in life that are coming whether you like it or not. So the question is, how, how are we going to do it? How are we going to transition through the change? I'm glad you asked. So actually woven through this whole book, Solomon gives us, he gives us a sentence that's really a basis for the truth that he's going to share, the key that he'll share in just a minute. And, and this little phrase, there's only 12 chapters, and some of those chapters are really, really short. 
like 12 verses. So some of you are thinking, dude, that's my book, you know. That's my book. You know, if you're really looking for a really, really short book, go to Philemon, one chapter. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, short, short book. But he repeats this phrase, 12 chapters, 29 times. Like 29 times. Who knows? Maybe it's 30 and I missed one or two. Are you ready for the phrase? Here it is. It's under the sun. So here's what he's saying. Under the sun, what does that mean? It means life on planet earth. That's, that's what he's saying. He said, every, listen, life on planet earth is utterly meaningless. Aren't you excited? Aren't you glad you came? And so it's just, just his brilliant, subtle way. Not very subtle. That's a lie. Anyway, it's... It's his way of saying, you know, all there is, if all there is to life is what we experience under the sun, if, if it's what we see and what we feel and what we hear and what we touch, then guess what? There's just no meaning. If all there is to life is just this life, if all there is to life is what's squeezed between the bookends of my birth and, and my death, <coughs> then it's, it's meaningless. It's round and round and round we, we go and where we stop. Is where everybody else stops when they stop. Thank you, Jonathan. I want. I, I originally I wrote where you end up is where everybody else rent, ends up. I thought stop sounded better. Anyway, and if you're really getting discouraged, don't. If you if you think that what Solomon's saying is there's nothing good on planet Earth, you're wrong. That's not what he's saying. Just hang on. <clears throat> so throughout the book, he sort of leans into this whole idea of the futility of life under the sun. And he says, but here's the, here's the key. That's what actually forces you, not encourages you, not suggests. It's what forces you to look beyond life under the sun. But you already knew that. In fact, that's why some of you are here. You have said recently, or you've thought it, maybe you said it out loud, there's got to be more life than this. And listen, just in case you really spiritual people think I'm talking to all the unchurched, all the lost people. I'm not. I'm talking to some Christians right now. And so you're struggling with your faith. You're trying to figure out, God, are you real? I love that video. You're wrestling with God in a season that you're not comfortable with and that you don't like. And that there's pain involved in it. And you don't like it. And you're really thinking, you've got to be kidding me. There's got to be more to it than this. And you're right, there is. So then Solomon gives us the key that will open the door to the transition. Here's what he says, chapter 3, verse 11. He said, he made everything beautiful in its time. That's powerful. That's powerful. I'm just saying, I'm just setting it up. I'm telling you, everything on planet Earth, not, it's not that it's bad. It's not that God doesn't give us gifts and beautiful things to enjoy here on Earth. He says everything, everything is like beautiful in its time, but he has also set eternity in the human heart. Whoa. So Solomon gives us this key. He said there's something in the human heart that longs for there to be more than life under the sun. There's, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. So quit trying to find purpose within this life only. Only. Why? Because God has put eternity in your heart. You can have a really bad church experience. That's not hard to do. 
You know why? Because all churches are filled with imperfect people just like you. So guess what? You're going to go to the next one. You can leave this one, go to the next one. They're imperfect. Somewhere along the lines, they'll hurt you too. I'm just saying, and you can, you can be angry at church, but it's not going to go away. This thing in your heart, this longing in your heart, for there's more. There's got to be more. And maybe what God's been telling you, it's, you're right, it's more than church. It's more than church attendance. You can decide that you're mad at God, but that's not going to go away. You can burn your Bible if you want to, but that thing inside, that, that desire, that, that draw, it's not going to go away. I'm telling you. You can hate Christians. You can hate church people. But it's not going to go away. That thing inside of you, it, it's going to continue. You can question everything that you want. You can question God. You can question the church. But there's going to be this thing inside of you because God said eternity in your heart. And it's going to continue to draw you. That's exactly why some of you are here. And it's just awesome. And what I want you to know, it's the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's crazy about you. And what he wants is a relationship with you. So I'm just saying you can't help it. It's not going to go away. Then he says this, back to verse 11. He says, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom. And that's the truth, isn't it? You try to figure out what God's up to. Anybody try to figure that out and go, I got nothing. In, in the season you're in right now, have you said, God, I'm just, for the life of me, I, I don't see you anywhere. A anybody? I mean, can you, can you say, I'm, I'm, I'm in a big question mark right now. I just, I'm totally out to lunch. I do not. But here's the thing. God is at work. God has a plan. He's always at work. You can count on that. He's always at work. And I'm just trying to say that there's more to life than just this life. Ha, there's more to life than just this life. There are great things. There are gifts that God gives us in this life that are worth our pursuit. I'm the most happily married man I know. I am. I, I just, I'm just telling you. I love my wife. I love my, my life with my wife. And it's not just because she's like the hottest woman who's ever like graced planet Earth. And she is. Is she not? Oh. People get mad at me when I say this. Men come up to me. I remember somebody said, man, I'm just tired. I'm sick and tired of you talking about your wife all the time. I hate it for you. <laughs> I, I think I said, oh, I think I said one time, you're just jealous. I'm just saying, she's awesome. But here's the thing. I can ruin the gift that God has blessed me with if she becomes my sole purpose for life and living. I can ruin that, and I did. I'm not going to tell all this story, that's for sure. We went together like in the eighth grade. I'm going to go over here when I talk about that. It was, it was a brief little encounter. And, and so then in high school, we started dating again, and we dated several years off and on. And I wasn't going to do the God thing. I didn't like God. In fact, I, I, I hated God. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. And here's the thing. Like, she did. And so in a weird way, I thought she can be good enough for the both of us. 
And honestly, she would have been. I mean, she taught, you know, vacation Bible school. She did, she sang in church on Sunday. She, she, did, she was a summer missionary for two summers in a row. She did all these things. I said, she can be good enough for the both of us. And, and she's incredibly beautiful. And so I'm not kidding you. I would walk down the hall at school with her on my arm. I said, that's right. Get your hearts out. <laughs> Woo, I'm with this woman. I'm not kidding. My chest all puffed up and poked out. You know, I'd ready to take on the world. Here's the thing. When God separated us and he did it because I ruined the relationship and can I just say that she could never ever fulfill the purpose because she wasn't intended to I was expecting something for her that she that she couldn't give And so throughout this book, he sort of leans into this idea that there's futility of life under the sun that actually forces us to look for life beyond the sun. See, God created me for eternity. And when I messed that up with a relationship, even if the relationship was God-given, and God said, I just want to bless you. I want to bless you. I'm going to give you this beautiful, sweet, incredible relationship. But if you put her first, you're going to mess it up. Because I was created for more than that. So maybe here this morning you're a follower of Jesus, and let's just be honest. You've gotten things out of whack. They're out of balance in your life. And you didn't even know it. You didn't see it. You didn't see it coming, right? And you didn't mean to. It wasn't necessarily that you meant to put somebody or something in front of God, but it just kind of happened. And so you've been looking for this meaning and this purpose in life, and, and you've been questioning God, and God said, look, here's the thing. The whole time, I'm supposed to be number one. And so you, why do I get up at 4.30 in the morning? Because I long to be with Him. And I know that I'll never be fulfilled in life unless I'm with him, hanging out with him, spending time with him. I'll never be the husband that I can be because I'll be looking for her to try to give me something she wasn't created to do. He said, I put eternity inside your heart. I've put this thing inside your heart that longs to be in relationship with me. And the reason that I put it there is because I long to be in a relationship with you. And as a follower of Jesus, you've put other things in front You've allowed something else to become more primary, more important. God's speaking to you this morning. Holy Spirit's speaking right now, and He's really loud. Are you going to make the transition? I love, I love unchurched people. I love, I love lost people. And one of the reasons that I love them so much is at least by the time I get to them, by the time God allows my path to cross their path, is they're so gut level honest. You know, I love it. Now, sometimes, you know, the, the language they use to share that can be a little strong, and some people would be offended. I'm not. I go, ah, awesome. And they'll, they'll look at me and say, there's got to be more to life than this. 
I'm willing to admit all the stuff I've tried hasn't worked. The relationships haven't been enough. Nobody's been able to love me enough, give me enough. Money's not been enough. Success has not been enough. Nothing I've tried has been enough. Preacher, tell me. Is there something else? Yeah. There is. You were made to be in a relationship with God. And the problem is that sin is in the way. That's it. But you don't have to worry about that because God, God had a plan since the very beginning. He knew that Adam and Eve would blow it in the garden. And he already had a plan. So God sent his son Jesus to the earth for the sole purpose, for the sole purpose of going to the cross to shed his blood to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And then three days later, he was raised from the dead and he's alive. What is that? All, all that for what? For God to say, I'm crazy about you. I want a relationship with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. This is not about me and you in religion. It's not what it's about. It's not about me and you in church. It's about me and you. That's what it's about. I want to be in a relationship with you. For some of you, you know what? You're going, dude, I'm that makes perfect sense to me because I've searched for the meaning and I haven't found any and I would agree with Solomon I actually agree with him that it's all been meaningless life under the sun has just been meaningless for me utter futility if that's you and you say man I'm ready to give my life to Jesus my life has definitely not been working doing it my way I'm ready to give up control. I'm ready to put God in charge. I'm ready to put Him in control. That's where you are. Your head's bowed. Every eye's closed. If you are ready this morning to fully surrender your life to Jesus, I'm not talking about just praying a little prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. There's power in the prayer. The prayer is simple. Salvation is simple. But I'm talking about a place where you are ready to say, you know what? I'm ready to throw up the white flag of surrender. And I'm just saying, man, my life, it's just not working. Me doing my thing my way just isn't working. So, Lord, I want to give you charge and control, and I want to surrender my life to you. If that's you, then prayer, prayer, something like this. Just go ahead and tell him. Say, man, I'm a sinner. I mean, it's not like he doesn't know, but you're acknowledging that, you know. You're saying, God, I, I want you to know, I, I recognize the fact that I'm a sinner. And I, I recognize that life under the sun is utterly, it's utter meaningless. It's, there's nothing to it. So, God, I accept the fact that you sent your son. Jesus died on the cross. And I, I believe that he, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. That's awesome. And I believe that on the third day he was raised from the dead. And God, right now, to the best of my ability, I want to surrender my life to you. I'm going to give up my own way of life. And from this day forward, I won't be perfect at it. I'll slip, I'll fall, I'll mess up. But from this day forward, my intention is to live for you. Tell him. Tell him you love him. Oh, my gosh. Tell him you love him. And thank him. Jesus, thank you for uh, the power of your word and um, truth. <laughs> you know, Lord, I have to be honest. Lord, I've read through the book of Ecclesiastes. I, there have been times when I thought to myself, I don't know if I'd have put that in there. 
might have left that book out. I might have left that part out. I might. But Lord, you know what? I just thank you, God, for truth. And Lord, I thank you for God that searches, searches us out when we're lost and longs to be in a relationship with broken people like us. Because you can heal the brokenness. Lord, I don't even know how to thank you. Lord, help us, God, even as followers of Jesus, Lord, to, to embrace change and make a smooth transition. So, Lord, we tell you that we love you. And it's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen.